welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are continuing on in our Sermon on the Mount series, and if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. I am so grateful you're joining in, and I hope you'll stick with us through it. You can find the whole series linked in the show notes or at my home on the web at thankfulhomemaker.com, and when you get there, you're just going to hover over that Christian Living tab on that first homepage. You'll see a drop-down menu, and then just click on Sermon on the Mount. And I encourage you, if you're just joining in, please at least go back and listen to episode 86, which is the introduction to this series. It's so foundational for our time together. So if you're listening in on your favorite podcast app right now, make sure to subscribe wherever you do that. That way you won't miss any new episodes. And if you're enjoying our time and God's Word in this series, you may also enjoy studying God's Word with us in the Homemaking Matters community, which is our membership site. We're studying through the book of 1 Peter together this year, and you can find out more about that and all the other aspects of the membership site and what it offers at homemakingmatters.com or at the link in the show notes. So I titled this next section of the text that we're working through in our series here on on this Sermon on the Mount, on oaths, and I have such a hard time saying that word, so I apologize. So I'm titling this episode, Tell the Truth. I struggled with what to call it, and the fact that I have issues saying that word oath, (laughs) and after working through this text, this simple title seemed to sum it up for me with those three simple words, Tell the Truth. So let me read our text today. We're moving through Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So we find ourselves today on the fourth of Jesus's illustrations of what true morality looks like to those that are in Christ. We talked about the sin of anger in episode 113. We were dealing with our adulterous hearts or sexual purity in episode 115, divorce and remarriage, or better put, our faithfulness in marriage in episode 117. And today in episode 119, we're going to work through telling the truth. And then in the next couple episodes, we're going to get to those fifth and sixth illustrations of true morality as we're going to work through selflessness and love. And we have Jesus here telling us again, you heard that it was said, but I say to you statements. So the simple reality is we all know the trouble we get into when we lie. Most of us learn the trouble that lying gets us into as children at a pretty young age, right? Plus, I know as a little kid, when I told a lie, it took an awful lot to have to remember all those details to make sure I kept getting my story straight, and it really weighed heavy on my conscience. 
getting caught in the lie or confessing it to my parents on my own eventually. I may have had some tough consequences to deal with, but there was a lot of freedom in not having to cover up anymore. And this is coming from a girl who I wasn't a believer then. We weren't a church family, nothing like that. But I seem to probably follow the advice at that time of Jiminy Cricket. I was, I don't know why I was thinking of that when I think of the word conscience, right? Let your conscience be your guide. But I let my conscience be my guide, I guess. And my conscience seemed to know that it was better to tell the truth. So it really just shows that even at a young age, God's law was written on my heart. I knew it was wrong to lie, right? So even that as a non-believer, I knew it was wrong to lie. I knew it was wrong to not keep my word. I just really had no interest in God at that time in my life or didn't know anything about him or be exposed to him and even later in my life. So, but I also knew the damage lying did to being trusted by my parents. God's ways are always best. Even being outside of Christ, being truthful and holding to my word was always the better choice. And things usually went better when I chose that path. So in our world today, It doesn't seem like anyone cares anymore about truth. Who do we trust when we turn on the news or listen to our politicians speak? Who holds to their word and actually does what they say they're going to do? Kent Hughes, he had an illustration in his Sermon on the Mount um, commentary. He illustrates the desire for truth in the prayer of the chaplain of the Kansas Senate. Let me read this prayer to you. Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. So this prayer, it highlights what we all know to be true, just as as true in America as it was in Israel in Jesus' day. That truth, it's a vanishing breed, Right. Um, our Kent Hughes agrees on that. And he goes on to add, he states, today's there's an urgent truth shortage. There was a time when Western culture was distinguished from other cultures by at least a conventional outward sense of obligation to tell the truth. But now there is a pervasive indifference to truth telling. And this has not only infected day-to-day conversation, but the most solemn pledges of life. Per- he continues, he says, perjury under solemn oath is epidemic. The sacred views of marriage are broken almost as often as repeated. God's name is invoked by blatant liars who purport to be witnesses to the truth. There is indeed a crisis, but we must not make the mistake of thinking it occurs only out there because it happens among us too. It's difficult to always tell the truth. The great preacher and writer George MacDonald wrote to his son on December 6th, 1878, he wrote, I always try, I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many lies. So our Ken Hughes continues, he says, I identify with that, and I'm speaking for myself. I do too. But he says, I'm speaking to someone and suddenly realize that what I'm saying is not the truth. And perhaps you've experienced the same. The difficulty comes from the combination of my own deceitful nature and the pervasive deceptiveness of the surrounding culture, end quote there. So everything we do as believers matters, right? Our actions, our responses, our words, 
we have spent a lot of episodes here on the podcast, not in this series specifically, but in, in other series, in my past series, speaking about our speech. That was actually episode one was called Taming Our Tongues. So I spent a lot of time on that because I know the struggle it is for myself. And also things like our speech should be kind and gentle, gentle and not sinful. Like we shouldn't have gossip or slander or malicious talk coming out of our mouths, right? God's word has much to say about how we should be speaking to one another. Our speech has an effect on others, and it matters what we say and how we say it. So we begin this next section here of the Sermon on the Mount, dealing with the issue of lying. Ever since the fall of man, ever since the fall, I should say, man has been prone to lying. So that's my intro again. Let's dig into our text today as we work through what Jesus says about the sin of making oaths or promises that we don't intend to keep. And I apologize that my word oaths sounds like the word oat, but you get what I'm saying there. So let me read Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, as we begin here. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So we already saw in our last episode how the Pharisees were quite permissive in their views on divorce, and Jesus is addressing in these next verses their permissiveness on taking oaths, and the oaths they are referring to here are when they're using God's name, when they make or take an oath, oath, or a vow, I should say, um, for God to punish them if they break it. So vows in the Old Testament were encouraged, and they were encouraged to be in God's name, But once the vow or oath was made, it was final, and it couldn't be rescinded without consequences. So let me read a few verses here. So Exodus 27 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Leviticus 19.12 states, You shall not swear swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. And Numbers 32 states, When you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not be slack to pay it. So R. Kent Hughes states, he says, vows were assumed, even encouraged, but once made, they were not to be broken under any circumstances. The Bible taught that they were very serious business. So we know the Pharisees were good at creating a system to work around this, right? Basically, they determined you didn't have to be so particular about keeping your vows if you didn't use the Lord's name. So they would make an oath. And an oath is defined as a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness as in reference there to God, or, and it's, it's in regard to one's future action or behavior that I'm going to do this and I promise to do this and I'm going to do and say it in God's name. So the scribes and Pharisees, when they made an oath in the name of the Lord, it must be kept. But if they made an oath, not using the Lord's name, it was considered by them okay to not keep it. It just wasn't as important. So they began a practice of making oaths, quote, by heaven or by earth or by the temple. Jesus addresses this also in Matthew 23, 16 to 22. And I want to read these verses to you. And always, especially if you're just here the first time, I put all the verses in the main show notes at my blog at thankfulhomemaker.com, and that will be linked below wherever you're listening to this podcast episode, so you don't have to be writing all this down. They'll, they'll be there for you. So again, I'm reading here from Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22, and this is Jesus speaking. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, 
For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You can see the progression there. So the Pharisees were making up their own way of making or taking a vow by taking God out of the formula, or so they thought, right? Jesus comes in and he reminds them that the whole world is the Lord's. Everything is created by him. Everything is under his control. We can't take God out of the equation. You can't even make one hair of your head white or black. And I'm not talking about hair coloring here because I know I, I do that pretty well, but I can color my hair, but I can't determine what color that strand is that's growing out from my scalp, right? God is in control of all things. As John Stott stated on this passage, he said, a vow is binding irrespective of its accompanying formula. So this brings us to the next part of our verses here in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read 34 to 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That reminds me when I read that last sentence there of James 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So we can read that verse to simply say, but I say to you, let what you say be simply yes or no. We don't need to be swearing oaths or vows. Those who are professing to be in the kingdom of God, right? Those who profess to have the righteousness of Christ should simply be known for people whose word is truth. One commentator stated, he said, whenever I utter the formula, I swear by God, I'm really saying, now I'm going to mark off an area of absolute truth and put walls around it to cut off from the muddy floors of untruthfulness and irresponsibility that ordinarily overruns my speech. In fact, I'm saying even more than this. I'm saying that people are expecting me to lie from the start. And just because they are counting on my lying, I have to bring these big guns of oaths and words and honor. So Jesus calls us to be people of the truth and people who keep their word. So what about oaths? I, I know for me, the first thing that comes to mind is taking an oath in, the court of, in a court of law. There are some like the Quakers and the Moravians who take this literal, and they will not take an oath in a court of law or even swear that something is true or not true. So George Fox, he was the founder of the Quakers, and he was sentenced to prison for refusing to swear over a Bible that he would tell the truth. These were his words in front of the judges at Lancaster. He said, you have given me a book here to kiss and swear on. And this book which ye have given me to kiss says, kiss the sun. And the sun says in this book, swear not at all. I say as the book says, and yet ye imprison me. How chance ye do not imprison the book for saying so. So because of George Fox taking this stand, 
This is the reason we no longer have to lay our hand on a Bible in a court of law and swear to God we're telling the truth. We can now simply say, I affirm that I am telling the truth. If we took these words literally, like Mr. Fox did, and determined that we could not take an oath or make a vow, we would all have no eyes because they would all be plucked out, okay? Jesus himself didn't take this literally. When he was addressed by the high priest in Matthew 26, verses 63 and 64, it says, But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. And we also have the example of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.23. He said, But I called to God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Or in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we have the Apostle Paul here again. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So how are we to deal with oaths and vows? Our Kent Hughes really helped us here, and I'm just going to quote him. He said, Oath-taking is permitted, but it is not encouraged. In civil life, oath-taking, as in the courtroom, is permitted, and when one does so, he does not sin against Christ's teaching. Also, on rare occasions, it may be necessary, as it was for the Apostle Paul. However, oaths are not to be a normal part of our everyday conversation. In normal relations, oaths should never fall from our lips. Kingdom men and women do not need such devices. Their commitment to truthfulness should be evident to all. So, friend, we need to be women who speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No little white lies, because there is no lie. All lies are sin. What about no exaggeration, right? No fudging the truth there a little bit, right? So I was laughing. Watch out, all you fisherwomen. No exaggerating. Exaggerating is lying. We live in a world of lies from politics to the media to the advertisers of the day, right? Lose 20 pounds in a week. Hello. Um, so what does this mean for, for those of us in Christ? Simply, it means we speak the truth. We don't exaggerate, lie, make false oaths. We keep our word and we do what we're going to say we do. Susan Heck stated, she had some good stuff in her, her study guide on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a good book to work through. I'll put the link in the show notes to it. She said, rarely a day or week goes by that we don't make a promise to a friend or our husband or our children, but do we keep that promise? For example, we might say to our friend, I promise I won't tell anyone what you just shared with me. And then you call one of your other friends to tell her the piece of juicy news. Or you promise the kids that you will take them out after school for a special treat, but then you don't fulfill your promise for one reason or another. Or you tell your friend that you will meet her for lunch at noon, but you don't show until 12.15. Or even worse, you don't show at all. Or you tell your husband that you'll iron his shirts while he's at work, but you find something better to do with your time. And we justify these broken promises by saying, to err is human. But God says to lie is a sin. And one more. Consider this one from George MacDonald. It's kind of the rest of the quote that I shared from that little tidbit earlier of his comments. So this is a little longer version of it. He says, I always try, I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many petty lies, things that mean one thing to myself, though another to other people. But I do not think lightly of it. 
Where I am more often wrong is in tactile pretending I hear things which I do not, especially jokes and good stories, the point of which I always miss, but seeing everyone laugh, I laugh too for the sake of not looking a fool. My respect for the world's opinion is my greatest stumbling block, I fear. So we can all understand what Mr. McDonald is saying because we've all been there and done this. We want to be those people who are honest and dependable and that our word can be trusted without a doubt. Being in Christ, this should be our heart as believers. And I get it. There may be times when we aren't able to keep our word due to various circumstances, but it's important to remind ourselves of James 4.15, right? If the Lord wills. When you make promises to your kids or your husband, keep them. When you break a promise, make sure to seek forgiveness. Don't make excuses. Own up to it. Our world doesn't seem to put a high value on honesty and keeping your word, but those of us in Christ, we're called to a different standard, one we are equipped to uphold by the grace of God at work in our lives. So we need to be people whose yes is yes and whose no is no. I want to close with six ways to quote B from Susan Heck and her study in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to, I'll put these six um, ways in the show notes too, and I'll link there to her study guide. So number one, be sensitive to the deception that lying is not sin, especially little white lies. Not only is it a sin, but a heinous sin. Do not desensitize yourself to the truth. She said, I know people whose habit of lying is to the point they don't even recognize it. Number two, be reminded of Matthew 12, 36 to 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Number three, be filled with God's Spirit and sensitive to His leading in your life in this area. If you are not walking with the Lord, His Spirit has been grieved and His voice is dull. Number four, be asking God to make you aware of the way you deceive yourself and others. You might be surprised how deception plays out in your life. Also ask your husband if he sees any form of lying in your life. She says, one year my husband and I held each other accountable for exaggerations and that exercise was extremely profitable. Number five, be feeding on the word of God. When you feed your mind on the word, the truth, and obey it, it will produce what God desires, which is truth in the inner woman or man. A truthful inward spirit is bound to produce truthful outward speech. Number six, be careful what you say. Think before you speak. If you'd said something that's not true, go to the person and correct it. She says, believe me, after you do that several times, hopefully you'll be humble enough to guard your words more carefully. And then she closes these six statements with this reminder here. She said, there's only one person that I know in the whole universe who has kept every promise he has made, and that is our model, our example, the Lord Jesus. One of the promises that he has made to you and me is that he will return. He will keep his word, and so we must keep our word as well, lest we fall into judgment, end quote there. So our God hears every careless word we speak, and Matthew twelve thirty six reminds us that we will give an account for every word. Our words make evident what is going on on the inside. Matthew twelve thirty four is a reminder here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And these words from Samuel Johnson need to weigh heavy on us and not just, not just being directed to our children as the quote is stating here, but to us. So listen, 
Accustom your children constantly to this, telling the truth. If a thing happened at one window and they, when relating it, say that it happened at another, do not let it pass, but instantly check them. You do not know where deviation from the truth will end. It is more from carelessness about the truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world. So in my closing today, very simply, let me do that with the words of Jesus from verse 37. Let what you simply Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So my friend, Jesus truly is enough always. And always, I am so grateful for your time today. Again, any resources or the verses, anything mentioned, scriptures, quotes, it's going to be over at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd so appreciate if you could leave a rating or one of those lovely five-star reviews wherever you listen in. It has been such a help and others finding the podcast. And thank you so much, everyone who has left a rating or review. I am so grateful for the time you took to do that. I do read them all. You encourage me. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's goodness and allowing me to share what he's teaching me with you. God is so good all the time. You are all a sweet, sweet blessing to me. And I will see you back here next month when we work through Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42 on retaliation. So I do pray you have a very blessed week, my dear friend. Mm-hmm.